Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. We hope you brought your silver bullets, because you're going to need them. It's Triple Threat Theater, episode 82, Howl at the Moon. I'm Joe Daxberger. Oh, I'm Ryan Miller. Man, he's saying he can dance, he imitate <laughs> a werewolf. He's got it all. Yeah, I feel like the bar is pretty low on that one, no, but uh, I'll take that's it. Right. My boy, young lycanthrope, Ryan Miller. <laughs> That's a pretty good rap name. <laughs> yeah, right it is. <laughs> Millsy. Yeah. Tonight, 1981's The Howling. Mm-hmm. Also 1981's An American Werewolf in London. Yes, sir. And 1985's Teen Wolf. Yeah, boy. The 80s were just ripe with werewolf movies. I don't know if you noticed. I noticed. I mean, I am a longtime fan of werewolves always this i know you know i mean it's going back to monster squad got a good werewolf these movies i mean i really think when you think back to 80s horror like numbers wise there's a shitload of werewolf movies yeah you've got wolf with jack nicholson you've got wolfin Mm -hmm. like that started kicked off the 80s wolfin right well, that's the thing is like way, way back on our first episode of Triple Threat, we did, um, you know, three underwater horror movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like two movies that I think both came out in like 87 or 89 and then Deep Rising, which came out like in the late 90s. And it was like sticking out like a sore thumb that, oh, man, The Abyss also came out the same year in the 80s. We could have done those and we didn't. And uh, this time around, it's like, I didn't even realize that uh, Howling and American Werewolf in London came out in the same year. And I think there were like two or three other things we could have picked and done three werewolf movies from 1981. But uh, I, I'm not, I don't even remember who came up with this theme. But uh, Same. I mean, Howling, if you're thinking like 80s werewolf movies, I feel like the ones that immediately come to mind for me are Howling and American Werewolf in London. And then it doesn't take too much to be like, oh, Teen Wolf's another yep. big one. Uh, Silver Bullet, that was a big one. That was on uh, pretty frequently in the Daxburger house. Like I said, aforementioned Monster Squad. Yeah, I didn't see Silver Bullet until somewhat recently, and I liked that movie. I haven't seen it probably since I was a kid. It didn't stick around in the uh, the collection, but I did pick it up recently in one of the... Uh, Shout factory, like Shout factory sales. So yeah, oh Gary Busey. Gary Busey's in that, isn't he? Is he? Um, am I am I mixing up my werewolf movies? That's the one where the kids in the wheelchair. Oh yeah, yeah. Gary Busey's like his uncle or whatever. Damn. Who he builds him? I I don't have some kind of like motorized wheelchair thing that he rides around in. That I think they call it the Silver Bullet. Is that where the I, title comes from? I honestly remember very little for seeing it. You know, pretty frequently back in the day. But that's, yeah. I know for sure there's like a super powered, supercharged uh, wheelchair yeah. of some kind. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's Gary Busey who builds that for him. Oh, shit. 
Busey. Busey has not been on the show really enough. Or at all. Yeah. Maybe maybe not. But, I mean we've said it we've said it enough times, like at this point we've done so many movies it's hard to call any individual one to mind. That's true. When that's you want point. to. But uh, yeah, I don't know if there's been any no. Busey. Well there's no Busey tonight, but No. We do have uh I would say three quintessential howling movies or werewolf movies. Yeah, like I said, uh, when I think of 80s werewolf movies, two of the three of these immediately come to mind, and then the third one is just like such a oddity that mm-hmm. feels like it belongs. Because like, I've seen, like, you know, all the ones we just named, Wolf, Wolfen, and, you know, a lot of them are, you know, uh, forgettable to some degree or, you know, have their merits, but, you know, mm-hmm. they they aren't the standouts. Right. And I would say for for one reason or another, all of these kind of are, again, they're, they're like the three we picked. And that's, that's probably goes a little ways in saying that, yes, these are the standouts somehow. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, have you have you seen all these before? I've seen all of these. Um, I don't think I saw American Werewolf till like later in life, like teenage plus, maybe in my 20s. Um, used to watch Teen Wolf and Teen Wolf 2 a lot, maybe even Teen Wolf 2 more growing up, which (laughs) for whatever reason, there was a lot of sequels going on. You know, I've seen just from childhood alone, like I've seen probably Robocop 2, Jaws 2, Teen Wolf 2, way more than the originals for whatever reason. Pretty sure on a previous episode you mentioned that you've seen The Fly 2 way more times than The Fly. The Fly 2 a bunch of times. I mean, there's quite a lot, so... (laughs) <laughs> you know, Temple of Doom, that was the one that was on the heaviest rotation growing up for Indiana Jones. I mean, mm-hmm. be that as it may, I mean, what does that mean? I don't know. But um, yeah, so frequently saw Teen Wolf. American Werewolf was a bit later in life. Uh, the Howling going into this episode, I was a little unsure if I'd seen it before. I mean, well aware of it being like around forever and but just didn't like. I didn't read up on it to be be sure if I had saw it before. I, was, I thought I did, and I have, because I remember there's a couple standout things. I forgot most of it, but there's a couple standout bits that I was like, oh, yes, I have seen this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. How about you? As we've surely discussed before, though I am like a horror movie, monster movie fan, um, especially when I was younger, Uh, I had, like, little to no interest in the classic monsters, vampires, werewolves, mummies, etc. And I was just, from a young age, more into, you know, original creatures like the alien or tremors or whatever, predator. Shapeless deaths. (laughs) Yeah, but, um, so, a lot of those kind of movies, different vampire movies and werewolf movies and stuff, I had to kind of catch up on in like my golden era of first getting a Netflix account and getting three discs in the mail at a time, you know, that we've talked about before. So I would say the howling and American werewolf in London. I watched for the first time in the uh, latter half of the aughts, probably mm-hmm. didn't remember a whole lot about the howling uh, and American werewolf in London. I mean, that's the, the 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 uh, transformations in both of those movies are noteworthy and good, but uh, I've always preferred the one in American Werewolf in London, and that's the thing I mostly remember that one for. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Teen Wolf, never saw, never had any interest in, finally like watched it almost out of obligation like two or three years ago, and uh, didn't really do a lot for me. So don't have a lot of uh, history with any of these, but have seen them all. 
Gotcha. I don't know if that's heresy to say about Teen Wolf, but uh, depends on who you ask, especially Tony Sidani, Probably <laughs> he has a Teen Wolf costume. I don't know. I'd be very curious to see, like, what's the outside of like our small circle of, I'll say, normal people. You know that aren't obsessive movie watchers of like how how uh, notable would anyone find Teen Wolf? I mean, I know there was like a TV show recently. Not that that means anything for a forty year old movie, but mm-hmm. I mean, I think Michael J. Fox. I believe this was filmed before Back to the Future, but I don't know if it may have come out right after around because same year. But um, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I didn't find any. Sp- I I read a little bit about the making of the movie, but I didn't see any specific details pertaining to yeah, so Back to the Future and its relation to it. A bit unsure of how hot in the streets he was at the time. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, it made a lot of money. I can tell you that. Oh, it did. Okay. Well, we'll uh, I we'll think get it made in. like eighty million on like a four million dollar budget. We'll get into it because I have a lot to say about Teen Wolf the movie. But um, yep. That one, that one's a little ways off. That's the last one we're going to be talking. Mm-hmm. But I just assume that it's a popular movie, being that you know it had a sequel and it had Michael J. Fox in the first one. I just always assumed, oh, yeah. people must like this, and I was just the weirdo who never saw it and finally did, and is a stick in the mud about it. But oh. okay, you know, fair enough. We'll, we'll talk f- more about that in a bit. <laughs> well, before the we get there, why don't we talk uh, Joe Dante's The Howling? All right. Movie number one from uh, March 13th, 1981, we have The Howling. We'll find out if any of Eddie's killings were on a full moon. Hey, that's a lot of Hollywood baloney. Your classic werewolf could change shape any time it wants, day or night, whenever it takes a notion to. That's why I call them shapeshifters. I got a dozen books on it. What about killing it with silver bullets? Well, sure. Silver bullets are fire. It's the only way to get rid of the damn things. They're worse than cockroaches. They come back from the dead if you don't kill them right. Plus, they regenerate. You know what that is? Cut off an arm, cut off a leg, stick a knife in a heart, nothing. They may look dead, but bam, three days later, they're as good as new. You believe in this? What am I, an idiot? I'm making a buck here. You want books? I got books. I got chicken blood. I got dog embryos. I got black candles. I got wolf paint. Look at this. Silver bullets. Some joker ordered them. 3006. Never picked them up. I take Bank America, American Express, Visa. You gonna buy that or what? Uh, yeah, these two. Joe Dante, speaking of which, making a lot of appearances on this show. We've already reviewed Gremlins, Explorers, and Inner Space. Yeah, I mean, he's in the, whatever we're calling our club of repeat offenders. Oh, we are calling them repeat offenders. Repeat director. He's yeah. one of the only <laughs> ones yeah. on that list. I, I mean, probably for four, four entries. I mean, I think it would be him. Yeah. Um. Let's see, it's pretty early in his, I mean, I think, what did he do? I know he Piranha. did uh, Piranha, right? That was a, a big one before that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty curious. What do you think of, of the, the howling? howling? Yes. Uh, I'm not a big fan, honestly. <laughs> like, I didn't remember a lot about my first time watching it. I went back and I looked at my Letterboxd review, and I had given it three stars, and essentially my old review made it sound like the thing to remember about this movie is the the transformation. And um, I, I got to be honest, I kind of feel that way again now, mm-hmm. rewatching it. Um, I, lo- I like the setup and the whole idea of D. Wallace, who also has been in a few things we've reviewed now, E.T. and Critters mm-hmm. and this, um, like, seminal 80s movie mom. Oh, for sure. 
she plays a reporter and uh, she's been getting these like lewd calls from a weird creeper and they decide to like use her to like catch him live on air and make like this, you know, it's going to help the the ratings to do this thing. And then um, it kind of goes sideways and we find out later that the weird creeper dude is also a werewolf and she's like traumatized by the experience. And so, her like psychiatrist decides to send her to this retreat out in the woods that he like owns or runs or something. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out after they get there, uh, everybody at the retreat is a werewolf and it's like a cult almost. Yeah. Like I like that premise. I really do. But I just feel like the execution is very bland and uh, doesn't, it's just like, I, I was just kind of bored while I was watching it. Like the, the, the plot thrust and the story wasn't really keeping my attention the whole time. I was just kind of waiting for the transformation scene. And, uh, I honestly think I would say that that's the best part of the movie. What about you? Uh, you can't <laughs> see me cause the video is not going, but I was nodding my head the whole time. <laughs> I yeah. think this movie is like horribly inconsistent. Like, yeah. And not that it even, like, reaches some, like, high production value, but it just, like, tonally is weird. I think at some point uh, during while I was watching it, I was, like, looking at maybe IMDb because it it felt like it was, like, based on a book. And it is because it just seems like such – it doesn't feel like a screenplay. It feels like it's adapted from a bigger thing that they're – condensing it's just the whole i like the premise too but the like you said the execution just feels off it just feels like um like trying to like stick to i don't even know if it sticks to the book or not but it just feels like from what i understand not really because even that i'd find that interesting because it's like of all the things like what else happens in this book because the stuff that's in the movie it's just like feels like pretty bland pretty boring takes a while for it to really pick up yeah, I read an anecdote where Joe Dante actively didn't like the book. Like, I think he kind of came on board to this movie. It's not like a property that he was, like, dying to make, but he, like, got the opportunity to direct it after Piranha or something. Mm-hmm. And um, he he was, like, vocal about not really liking the book. And then there was, like, a, a Q&A or something somewhere, and someone raised their hand and asked like, so I understand you don't like the book that this is based on. And he was like, no, and rants about how he doesn't like it. And then the guy in the audience who asked the question was like, oh, well, I wrote it. (laughs) Oh, fatality. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, we'll talk about the sequels to this movie, but the first sequel is called The Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. And uh, that... I did never never have heard that before. I knew there was like (laughs) seven or eight of these things, but... There's a lot of them. But that first sequel, the script for that one was actually written by uh, Gary Brandner, who wrote the novel that the first one is, you know, inspired by or based on or whatever. Mm. Yeah, I just think like for a werewolf movie, it's just really not the... It's not that compelling what you get throughout the movie. Um, And again, I feel like... Of course, we'll get into American Werewolf, but especially being in the same year where like all you say that that one so feels like so high and tight where this just feels like kind of sloppy. Like, I don't even know. I don't know really the first thing about film editing, but I feel like the editing of this just feels like very choppy. It feels like some stuff. It's like they, I don't know, It's it, some of the things, I mean, with the transformations, even it feels like they got one take 
And that's what's in the movie. Like, there's just odd shots, and it's, like, hard to tell at sometimes what's going yeah. on. I mean, there's, like, all these opportunities to show, like, you know, a whole harem of werewolves, and you see, like, the shoulders of three of them, and, you know, you know, you never see. Mm. There's the whole part with the that's in the farmhouse later, but. In the just, barn. Yeah, in the barn. It just feels, like, kind of haphazard. I will say. I actually really like the werewolf design. Mm-hmm. It like is particularly creepy looking. He's got those like real long ears. Yeah. Like definitely is like a horrifying looking. It's kind of top heavy. Werewolf. Yeah. Top heavy. It's really tall. I mean, it's creepy. I mean, it's of course it's shown a lot in shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the design. I know Rob Bottin did the effects on this one. We know from the thing and yeah, many other classics. Um, and again, too, I think maybe it goes back to what I was saying about the editing, because some of the transformation stuff I like, some of it just, uh, I feel like it kept cutting back to, like, you know, there's, like, a lot of bladder effects where it's, like, the the skin is pulsating, but it doesn't mm-hmm. really, like, that doesn't, like, really make a ton of sense to me in this, like, transformation of a werewolf. It feels more yeah. like something that's going to explode or the thing like something else is going to pop out but it's like that's a lot of that like bladder work and it's like real choppy editing where it keeps like it'll change the shot then it'll go back to that and i'm like waiting for something else to happen it's really it's just like lingering on the guy with his like you know his cheek is pulsating and i'm just like why is what what is this but also i'm trying to think like oh it's 81 no one's ever seen anything like this before so maybe this was you know mind-blowing at the time but it just doesn't hold up for me now yeah i think the that bladder effect despite the fact that it's not really used in his most well-known effort which was the thing Mm -hmm. uh, i think that that was kind of like a calling card and like a thing that rob botin brought to the table that a lot of people mimicked after him and so you ended up seeing it a lot I mean, it makes sense that it would be like a difficult, like technical thing because it's like under, it's on top of the skin, but under makeup yeah. and the, that whole thing. But for just for someone turning into a werewolf, it doesn't really like make sense to me. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing where I always think when I see it because it's like a thing we've all seen a billion times if you watch enough movies from the time period with, you know, practical effects and mutations and things. The thing I always think is like, okay, so the idea is supposed to be that this person is turning from a person into a werewolf. Mm-hmm. And I understand like, okay, it, it, the perfect example is in, in my opinion, American Werewolf in London, where it's like, you don't see like body parts pulsing. You see them going from one shape to another yeah. shape. So when you're seeing the bladder work in like this movie, it's kind of just a shorthand to be like, look, this is weird looking. And maybe at the time people didn't understand how it was happening, but like, yeah, like you're saying, you like focus on a shot of the guy's face for like eight seconds and you just see his like, uh, like his brow line, like yeah. inflate and shrink, inflate and shrink where I'm like, no, it should just be slowly inflating to a different shape uh, one 100%. time. And, like these are the weird nitpicky things that people like us who watch a lot of these movies over yeah, and over, like but... kind of sink into, I think, but. Yeah, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of it myself. Like, love Rob Bottin, have a lot of respect for, sure. for him. The the makeup and parts of the transformation are cool, but yeah, it, I definitely think it's inferior to the one in American Werewolf. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, personally. like the the payoff of the full werewolf, I think looks very good, cool. It's got good animatronics, like exciting. But anytime there's something with the transformation, I was just like, 
Yeah. This is like a confusing letdown. The movie's like very, very dark. I was saying earlier too, like I wasn't sure if I'd saw this or not, but then certain scenes I remembered. For whatever reason, the part where it's not Dee Wallace, it's her friend that's like mm-hmm. in the daylight trying to like get away from the werewolf and she chops its arm off. Yep. I just, for whatever reason, that just always stuck out to me as something that probably scared me when I was a kid or whatever, because I just always remember breaking through and the, the axe and the whole deal. But even then, it's like a weird effect they do when he gets his arm chopped off and it like looks like it's a balloon and then it shrinks and then it expands again. Yeah. <laughs> feels just like that feels just, you know, not a great idea. Not great execution. Feels like very low budget, which maybe it was. I don't even know. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, reading about this movie, it sounds like they were always up against it with time and money. And I mean, if you read about Rob Botin, he was a real perfectionist. And, you know, he just about worked himself to death when he was making the thing and like mm-hmm. sleeping in the office and like never never going home and getting any rest. And so apparently like the very first day that they were doing the werewolf makeup in this movie, mm-hmm. um, he spent so long like trying to get the makeup to look perfect that it, that like basically they had run out of time for that day and they had to give everybody like the evening off. And uh, the actor had to sleep overnight in the makeup so that oh. the next day they could come back and just start filming with a minute instead of taking it off and spending all the time to put it back on again. <laughs> Damn. Which must have sucked. Yeah, seriously. But also apparently like there were like close up pickup shots of the transformation that they needed. And the studio was just like, you've already run out of budget and time. So Joe Dante had to just uh, film some pickup shots with Rob Bottin and the actor of the transformation in his own personal office. Oh, wow. <laughs> so presumably like real close ups that you wouldn't notice that it's not the same room that they right. did the main transformation in. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like they were up against it, and I'm assuming like the the you, you don't see a lot of the werewolves doing anything, <laughs> right? You see like shots of like weird sections of wolf body, but yeah, and it's like a lot of close ups and a lot of point of view shots, and like an arm comes into frame, or you see like a foot walking by yeah. or whatever. And there's also like a weird, I'm gonna say, hand drawn animation by the fire, yep. mm-hmm. which is just like, why was that even there? Yeah, there's one part where there's animation, so it's like a silhouette animated, but it's really obvious. And then there's awful. one part at the very end where there's stop motion, too. And those two scenes stick out like a sore thumb because they're the only spots in the movie that there's mm-hmm. anything like that. And it looks bad. Yeah. So, eh, like, I'm not, like, in love with the special effects in this one. The story is just, again, cool idea. Right. But yeah, like you were kind of saying, and I hinted at before, it's just like, there's just, it, the the story feels directionless. There's, you know, there's these side characters that are doing an investigation. Maybe we should have spent more time with them, or I, I just or feel like the movie yet. isn't scary, really. There's, there's no distinct tone to speak of. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that American Werewolf, again, it, it manages to be scary and funny in equal parts at different times, but this movie just feels like it's wallowing in the middle somewhere. It's just kind of boring. It's not super long or anything. It's just... It's a chore. I don't know if the script wasn't up to snuff or Joe Dante was still just like a new young director. and But then like his next movie after this might have been Gremlins, I think, so... 
I believe it was. I think this got him Gremlins, which. But I mean, that movie good. probably had a better script and a bigger budget. Yeah. And yeah, I think, like I was saying, I just feel like this. Whatever they take or didn't take from the book, it just seems like if they just ran with the premise of being like, it should just be like, Lady is attacked by a werewolf, and you know those involved that are pretending to help her ship her off to freaking you know werewolf camp instead. Like, I mean, here's a wild idea for you, and I think, in my opinion, it speaks volumes of like potentially what's wrong with this movie. Like like we said, the whole thing starts out with like this creeper who's calling her and they try and catch him. And uh, then she's sent away to this commune that, where it's basically like a cult. You could make that movie and not have werewolves in it at all and it would be just fine. <laughs> right. I mean, And yes. I think that's a problem. Like the werewolves add a little bit to this, but it's almost like too little too late. Mm-hmm. I, I I almost think it would have worked better if it was like a cult or like this guy was a serial killer and like these people were trying to protect him at this commune or something i don't know it just i really feel like you could call it something other than the howling and take out the werewolves and it really wouldn't hurt the movie and it might make it better and if nothing else you wouldn't have those disappointing special effects that they couldn't I afford. Mean, yeah because it's not like ultimately the werewolves do that much anyways yeah it's not like particularly you know some people getting bitten but it's not like uh far and away feels like anything werewolf-esque yeah. Like there's little bits of fun stuff that comes from the werewolf concept and like one of my favorite parts of the movie honestly is the scene with Dick Miller as the uh like the bookstore guy telling him all the like mm, mm-hmm. like all the lore about werewolves and all. Yep. And he's like he's really knowledgeable about it and then they're like, "Wow, you know a lot about this. Do you believe this stuff?" And he's like, "Man, I'm selling books here. You want to buy something or not?" <laughs> Just <laughs> right. like I love that that little yeah. bit of him. I mean, he's always uh, great. Okay. He yeah. supplies the silver bullets later, you know. Mhm. But yeah, I like I like that opening so much where it's just like, you know, late 70s, early 80s, inner city, creepo, like uh, Mm -hmm. the little viewing rooms and like the porn stores where, you know, you could go in and put in a quarter and watch like smut in public and like, you know, they're losing the signal and she's calling people on uh, pay phones and like that whole vibe works without the werewolf. And then, like, the commune stuff, uh, I think, could have been creepier, more successful if they didn't have to worry about the budget constraints of big furry creatures. Yeah. But yeah. Just, uh, it's sloppy. Yeah. Uh, Rick Baker was originally supposed to do the special effects for this, but um, he ended up getting called away to do American Werewolf in London instead, so he gave the project to Rob Bottin. No way. Yeah, who was, like, his... You know, a protege, right? Yeah, but I guess you know, um, uh, John Landis, who did American Werewolf, he had been trying to get that movie made for a long time, and Rick Baker had said, like, "Yeah, I'll do it when you, if you ever get it off the ground." And then it seemed like it was never going to happen, so he committed to this. And then John Landis was like, "Hey, I got the funding. You have to get here now." Mm. And then Rick Baker was like, "Oh, I kind of promised him already." <laughs> so Rob. Have this job. And this was this came out the year before the thing, so this was like Rob Bottin's trial by fire in the uh the, I have the Shout Factory Blu-ray of this, and there's like a little 
like uh, old interview footage with Rob Bottin. And I think he said he was 19 or 18 when he did this movie. I know he was super young on the thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Sense. So, I mean, I'm not trying to like shit on his special effects no, or anything. Course. It's just. No, I think like even that, like I know like you're saying this movie like ditched the werewolf stuff. It could be stronger. All depending, and because I think the story, the story is definitely the the problem here. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a better werewolf story. I mean, you could, you know, bl- the bladder stuff, notwithstanding, like, yeah, you know, it could be fine. Uh, my point is basically, we either needed more werewolves or no werewolves. Like, what we got yeah. is just kind of, hmm. yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but I'll say this, maybe in closing. I mean, sounds like thanks to how things shook out. With the howling, that we got Rick Baker's werewolf in London. <laughs> we got yeah. gremlins, and we got uh, Rob Bottin on the thing. So <laughs> this was a stepping stone for everyone involved. Hey, yeah, that could be. That's a that's a decent enough legacy in my mind for. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll howling. take it. Silver lining, baby. There <laughs> we go. Uh, so let's talk about these sequels real quick. Oh please. So the original came out in 1981. Uh, the Howling Two: Your Sister Is a Werewolf came Terrible. out in 1985. Terrible. <laughs> Released theatrically, uh, directed by Philip or Philippe Mora. Who, speaking of bladder effects, have you ever seen the movie The Beast Within? No. That is another movie which is like kind of boring and not very interesting, except for one incredible transformation sequence. Not werewolves. It's like a completely different kind of creature. But uh, yeah, that, wow, that transformation scene in that movie is bananas. And it's the same guy that directed The Howling too. Okay. So like worth checking out, but also not at the same time, The Beast Within. (laughs) All right, fair. Uh, Again, the script for The Howling 2 written by the novelist who wrote the book. The first one was based on Gary Brandner. And I've never seen the Howling. I've never seen any of the Howling sequels. I really want to see two now, though, because it stars Christopher Lee. I found out. Oh, and uh, Reb Brown and Sybil Danning. So okay, okay. Uh, so that was eighty five, nineteen eighty seven. Also theatrical. We have the Howling Three: The Marsupials. Oof. Which just makes me think: Where kangaroos? Is that possibly what it much. is? Yeah. <laughs> I think they called it that because they filmed it in Australia. A bad idea. <laughs> and it was once again directed directed by Felipe uh, Mora or Philip or whatever his name is. Uh-huh. Uh, then we have a year later in 1988, direct to video, Howling for the original Nightmare. Oh, these are all terrible. <laughs> I guess they called it that because, according to what I read, this the fourth one is based on and a more faithful adaptation of the original novel. So. The fourth movie is the first one all over again, but better maybe or (laughs) Uh, directed by John Hoff, who gave us uh, Twins of Evil from Hammer Films, uh, the car chase movie, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, Uh, the I think Disney kids film Escape to Witch Mountain and a horror movie released by Vinegar Syndrome that I just watched recently called The Incubus. Which is about someone possessed by a demon. Howling Five: The Rebirth came out a year after that in 1989, direct to video. 
directed by a guy named Neil Sundstrom, who the only thing I recognized in his filmography is a movie called Space Mutiny, which I only recognize because it's one of the most classic episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Anybody who is familiar with that show, that is the episode where the uh, the lead actor is just this like big, hunky, blonde dude, and the whole movie they're just making up like fake names for him, uh, like Beef Hard Chest and shit oh, like that. Okay, uh, it's it's a classic episode, um, but the movie is fucking awful. <laughs> I believe that. Uh, then in 1991, also direct-to-video, we have Howling 6, The Freaks, directed by a guy, or this might be a woman, Hope Perello. Uh, the only thing I'd heard of, aside from this, that she directed is a movie called Pet Shop, which I think maybe Severn Films released, and it's about, like, some aliens come down to Earth, and they open a pet store to sell like weird alien pets to humans or something. I've never seen it. <laughs> uh, Howling six, the freaks stars deep Roy who played all of the Oompa Loompas in uh, the Tim Burton, Willy Wonka and the okay. chocolate factory. You said his first name is deep. Yeah. Deep Roy. He's also uh, the little dude who rides the bat in the never ending story. Okay. All right. <laughs> He's a fairly well-known little person actor. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in 1995, also direct-to-video, we have Howling New Moon Rising, Ugh. directed by Clive Turner. Uh, the only thing I recognized in his IMDb page is that he was the executive producer of The Lawnmower Man. Just, they cannot come up with a good subtitle to save their lives <laughs> for these. I don't know. The marsupials is pretty good. No. Your sister is a werewolf. That one's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, that sounds that sounds like a Simpsons gag or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then jumping ahead to 2011. Oh no! Um, there was a There's reboot. Eight? <laughs> yep. As of yet, there are eight. There. This was a reboot called The Howling Reborn. <sighs> Uh, directed by someone named Joe Nimzicki, and I didn't see anything of note to write down for that person. <laughs> Jeez. And um, in 2020, Andy Muschietti was hired to write and direct a reboot for Netflix. I couldn't find any more recent information about that, but, you know, he's been busy making It movies, and I think he directed the Flash movie? Oh, I think you're right, actually. So I don't know if this Howling remake is going to happen. I mean, again, I think that with the premise, uh, they could make like a really good movie, but I just don't think yeah. that the original is that movie. Uh, I must, I uh, must agree, my friend. Budget was one point five million. Box office was seventeen point nine. So it made some money. Oh, it sure did. But wow. uh, yeah, I I got to go on record. I'm not a big fan of the Howling. Uh, I concur, Doctor. But you better believe I'm going to be tracking down the Howling 2. Your sister is a werewolf Jeez. just for Christopher Lee. Jeez. <laughs> sister's a werewolf. I just... Uh, Fascinating. All right. Shall we move on? Please. To the movie we've already name dropped like 32 mm -hmm. times. As we should. From August, August 21st, 1981, we have An American Werewolf in London. I'm going completely crazy. David! What? 
Now, I'm really sorry to be upsetting you, but I have to warn you. Warn me? We were attacked by a werewolf. I'm not listening to this. On the moors, we were attacked by a lycanthrope, a werewolf. I was murdered, an unnatural death. And now I walk the earth in limbo until the werewolf's curse is lifted. Shut up. The wolf's bloodline must be severed. The last remaining werewolf must be destroyed. It's you, David. What? Please believe me. You'll kill people. Nurse! Listen to me! Nurse! The supernatural, <laughs> the power of darkness, it's all true. The undead surround me. Have you ever talked to a corpse? It's boring. I'm lonely. Take your life, David. Kill yourself before you kill others. So written and directed by John Landis. Um, he actually, so John Landis, fascinating dude, uh, has led an interesting life in cinema. He worked in the movie industry before becoming a director for like a decade or more. He was like a PA uh, on movies and like had odd jobs in a bunch of films and like had small bit parts in a bunch of movies early on. So he was in 1969, he was in Yugoslavia working on the film Kelly's Heroes when he got the idea for an American werewolf in London. And he wrote the script while he was there in Yugoslavia, but he was still like struggling young filmmaker. So he just like put the script in a drawer until he had made a couple movies and had enough clout where he thought he could get it made. And so like a little over a decade later. He pulled that script out, didn't change a thing about it, and made American Werewolf in London. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the thing about this movie was he had some trouble getting it made because the script and the finished movie is as much a comedy as it is a horror film. And just that concept, I think, confused and frightened people back then. Mm-hmm. But... uh after he made Animal House and maybe the Blues Brothers, I'm not 100% sure of the timing, he basically got enough clout that he could kind of get it funded uh, independently, I think, and then was able to basically do what he wanted. Uh, the way he talked in the interview that I watched, it sounded like him and his production partner were like the be-all, end-all. Like, if they needed a crane, they would just turn to one another and be like, should we get a crane? I think we should get a crane. Oh. Is kind of the example that he used. Like, they didn't have to answer to anybody else as long as they stayed within their budget. And I think he said that they actually came in, like, under budget and under schedule. So hmm. that's how he got to make the movie he wanted to make, even though it seemed bizarre and frightening to okay. executives. A daunting task. Okay. Yeah. So. Interesting. Uh, what are your thoughts on American Werewolf in London? I, like I said, sorry, later in life, uh, I absolutely love it. I think it's uh, fantastic. Um, I do have a question. I have a question for you, Milsey. Okay. What what of this movie do you think makes it a comedy? Um. Well, like specifically scenes like um, Griffin Dunn being like the nonchalant kind of jokey dead friend who appears to him, and by the end is just like a talking skull. <laughs> uh, I think that. I think the tone that John Landis gives it by like during the 
horrifying transformation scene. He has like a crooning blue moon playing in the background. I think just the kind of offhanded nature that he handles a lot of the like violence with where it's just like in the end, you know, the werewolf is attacking and there's like a crowd of people and it's causing traffic accidents, but he goes to great lengths to show like how brutal the traffic accidents are when he could have just shown like cars crashing into each other, but he's got like people flying out of cars and then being run over by other vehicles and stuff. I think it's uh, almost more absurd than it is humorous, but that makes it like lighthearted and funny at the same time, I feel. Okay. Uh, that makes all make sense to me. I was kind of curious, just like it's, it doesn't always like register to me that like, oh yes, this is like highly regarded as a comedy horror movie. Not to say yeah. that those things aren't funny, but it's just like, I always kind of like, I don't even like this time I was like kind of struggled. I was like, cause I've seen it so many times too. I'm just like, what, what is it like that has it be this well-known comedy? But I think it's actually the, yeah, the buddy there, him just like his slow, deterioration as a corpse and also just his all of his dialogue apparently one of the two things that he cut from the film based on audience reactions and whatnot which he which john landis wishes he kept in was that first time that uh, that griffin dunn appears to him as like the dead friend in the hospital and he's like oh can i have a piece of toast um they actually had a shot of like he swallows the toast and it falls out the hole in his neck (laughs) But, like, that also, like, straight-up comedy, but it was, like, gross to people, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Little, like, even little things, like, during the transformation scene, I think he cuts to a random shot of, like, a Mickey Mouse doll, like, sitting on a table. Yes, he does, actually. Little little things like that. And, like, you know, I've said before when I've, like, I used to have this conversation now and then with Jesse on uh, Sidetracked where I'd be talking about horror movies and the question would come up, well, like, what makes a horror movie? Because, like you know, uh, people would be inclined to potentially say like, oh, if there's a monster in it, it's a horror movie. But like, is Monsters Incorporated a horror movie? No, it's it's using the tropes of monsters, which are typically scary, but it's like a comedy and a family film. And mm-hmm. I think that a, like what makes a movie a horror film is if the director intended for it to be scary. And yes, I think that there's parts of this that are intended to shock and be frightening. Uh, because the werewolf itself and the way that it's shot, like I think that John John Landis does a way better job of using the limited practical effects that he had to his advantage than Joe Dante did in um, in the Howling. There, no, nothing more true has ever been said on this. Yeah, because like one of the greatest shots in this movie is when that dude's being chased by the werewolf in the subway and or the, the, the tube or the underground or whatever. And you don't see it until the very end. And it's like this shot from the top of an escalator and you just see it like far down at the bottom of the escalator walk into frame for a second. That might be my favorite scene just because it's it's, so good. It's so good. It's like almost like Jaws in that. Like you said, they, they, you don't see it till the very end. And then when you actually do see it, it is like skulking, like. The face is just like angry yeah. and frightening, and I you mean, barely ever see it. So forget it. the The design of this thing is amazing. Which yeah. I know at one point I did read that like um, I like my werewolves to be bipedal, you know, because that that to me is more like werewolf than wolf. Mm-hmm. I don't knock it in this because I know I read somewhere I think 
um, John Landis said something like he thinks of it as like a hellhound, not so yep. much like a walking yeah, man. He, he like fought with Rick Baker over it because Rick Baker wanted it to be bipedal, but he had this idea in his head of it being, you know, walking on all fours. And like I, I think of a werewolf and I think of it standing up on all on, on two hind legs, but I like the little bit of a difference here of it For walks sure. on all fours and like going further to like what it's so scary about it during the final scene when it's like in a crowd of people mm-hmm. it's not just like jumping on everybody and biting everybody they have shots of it like just walking like calmly right. through the crowd which to me says like oh this thing has nothing to prove and it's not scared of anybody <laughs> right, so right. it's just like that's scary about yeah, it but it's just like snapping at random people going back like three subjects to what i was trying to say before about what makes a horror movie a horror movie Again, there are parts of this movie for sure where it's intended to be scary, but you can tell by the way it's edited and the music choices and the the choices that uh, John Landis had the actors take that it's also intended to be kind of lighthearted and and humorous at times. And I think that's the thing. Like when uh, William Friedkin made The Exorcist, it's supposed to be scary and serious, so they take it incredibly serious, and the music is like intense. And the mm-hmm. same thing with like John Carpenter's The Thing. And I think that you know John Landis made a explicit decision for it to be humorous, and even though it's a little harder to say to explain than just like oh Jim Carrey's making funny faces in it, it's a comedy, right? I think that that's like the differentiating factor for yeah, me. I like that. And it's also like it just feels like it like fits his style. Like someone else has given the assignment to like make this movie. They make it completely different. Yeah. So. I mean, Gremlins is another great example. We were just talking about Joe Dante. And like that movie has scary, intense parts. But it's also like the scene in the bar where they're like hang, they're drinking mm-hmm. and they're they're hanging from the fucking ceiling fan and shit. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you can do both things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you definitely can. But. Yeah, I I love the tone of this movie. It's very unique. It really is. I mean, I think like for I think every bit of werewolf action I love in this. I really do like love the idea of like a werewolf curse and especially even that like your your victims like haunt you. I think it's mm-hmm. just like makes for some of the best scenes in this movie as well. Yeah. You know the the nightmares he has. I mean, when he's got like Nazi oh, like werewolves, the Nazi werewolves. I mean, that's just like so out there. But it's just like, that's, that's good stuff. That's terrifying too. Yeah. But yeah, it's so good. I think the cast in this is really good. I mean, it's crazy to me. Like David Naughton, who plays the lead in this, I guess because of this movie, I like I picture him in my head and I'm like, oh, he was a big deal in the 80s. But it seems like he really wasn't. Mm. Like this was kind of his big hit. But then I looked him up and like before this, he was in a like a skiing comedy called hot dog, the movie. And then after this, like the things that jumped out at me that I recognized were steel and lace, which is like a low budget forgotten sci-fi movie that, uh, again, vinegar, like syndrome vinegar syndrome released. Yep. And then he was in, uh, I think it's like the seventh Amityville sequel that was, uh, also in the Amityville box set from vinegar syndrome. Mm. He was in, a horror movie called the ice cream man, which is also a vinegar syndrome release. So it's like, he's, he wasn't, he didn't take off and become this huge, like eighties icon. Like I, for some reason thought that he did, but he's so good in this. Yeah. I mean, he really is. It's like perfect casting, perfect casting throughout really. But yeah, 
I mean, his, Griffin Dunn, who dies very early, and then he is in it more because he appears as the dead friend, but, I mean, he was also not, like, the biggest star in the world, but he definitely had a bigger career than David Naughton did because he was in, like, Martin Scorsese's After Hours. He was in uh, My Girl Quiz Show. And then even even further on, like, he was in Joe's Apartment, which was a kind of big movie at the time, and mm-hmm. 40 Days and 40 Nights, Practical Magic. Huh. And then uh, Jenny Aguter as the lead, she did have like a longer career before this movie, but she's really good. She was in like Logan's Run. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've never seen that. I thought she was good though, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought she was really good. Um, I think a sign of a good horror movie a lot of times is something that we've talked about before with like uh, Reanimator or The Fly we've discussed before in these regards, or even to a degree The Thing. I mean, The Thing has kind of a large cast because there's 12 characters, but this movie only has like four or five characters and that's all you need. Mm-hmm. And it's got like a really compelling story that, you know, The Howling has like a ton more characters. It's like a whole fucking commune of people and we found it boring. So Right. No, that's true. I mean, this is, I enjoy this too on that regard because it's like you can you get to spend so much time with david as you like you kind of watch like is is he or is he not like unraveling with all the, mm-hmm. the, the more information he gets but he's still trying to keep it together i mean she's still all about him even after he wakes up naked in the zoo and shows back up at the house like she <laughs> doesn't even like really bad an eye at that so yeah i think they're like real good together mm-hmm and then it, it just like kind of builds up for this inevitable like heartbreak kind of scene yeah. where it's like he yeah he, he gives in or he has no choice but to succumb to this curse. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I mean, movie's awesome anyway, but uh, poo, the transformation, the werewolf transformation I mean, scene is like unrivaled. I think in I mean practical werewolf transformations. I mean, hundred percent of it. Even like you know, it's on the. Not even just special effects or horror movies, but like I think like a Hollywood supercut of best scenes ever. It's in there, <laughs> yeah. Because like you said, the music makes it, his acting makes it. I mean, every like I was saying, like how bad the editing feels in the Howling, like the editing yeah. in this, especially this scene is perfect. Like every shot they cut to, mm-hmm. the sound effects where it just sounds like ligaments are tearing and bones are breaking. I mean, that's like, that's the beautiful thing about this scene and something that makes it extra special is the dichotomy between John Landis told him to play it like his body was being torn apart. And like typically mm-hmm. in movies when people transform into things, they're like, you know, they're scrunching up their face and they're, ah, that right. kind of thing. But like literally he goes from reading a book to the next second he's gripping his head and just like screaming bloody murder and then like ripping his clothes off, screaming about how he's like burning up. And then you have those sound effects of like bones crunching and breaking, yep. but it's all set to that fucking croony version mm. of Blue Moon. That's perfect. And Oh, it's just the perfect matchup. Yeah. It's so good. And they, they sell it so perfect to think like, again, back to like the curse of this. Like, yeah, there's there's no upside to this. Yeah. Like you you're you need to be in, per- in complete terror of the full moon coming, not because you're just going to slaughter people, potentially people you love. But it's like you have to go through this transformation where your body is like rearranged. Mm-hmm. And they sell it so good. Yeah. I just love it. 
just brilliant shots like when the feet are extending yep. and they do it with the hands, the feet, yeah. the the snout, you know, mm-hmm. it all looks amazing. And yeah, just anytime they cut to a close up of his face and he's just like sweating bullets and his mm-hmm. eyes are red and oh man, it looks like he's going through hell. It's it, such it a does. good performance. It's per- it comes at like the perfect time in the movie too. Like, yeah, they make you wait early. a little while. Oh yeah. But it's like you get to and again, it like builds up to like that idea of, you know, like dreading this actually happening. And then when it yeah. does, it's just ugh. something else. I think that it also does better than the howling is you were talking about that moment with uh, the hand transforming back into a human hand and how mm-hmm. kind of fakey it looks. Mm-hmm. I love that both times we are like a witness to the person transforming back into a human. It's like a cutaway, and then when you cut back, they're just a person again. Mm-hmm. Like that, oh, that first time when they get attacked on the moors, and he like rolls over and looks, and it's just a naked guy with a couple bullet wounds in him. Yep. And then same thing at the end of this. I just think that that's a smarter way to do it. Totally. If if you have the you know the practical effects kind of holding you back, mm-hmm. yeah, because it's just like you don't you don't have to see it anyways because mm-hmm. you get it, you know what's happening, and then. Now, if there was like never any kind of transformation scene, but you know, I me being a big fan of werewolf stuff anyway, it's like I want to see that, good or bad, just so. Yeah, but I mean, the smart thing to do is what he did. He did it one time in the movie, and he made it a highlight of the film. Totally, and it was like that was satisfying yeah. enough. And now the rest of the time, you can like you know, fake around it a little bit. Yep, a hundred percent. Like it in the uh, the movie theater at the end, the last time he transforms, I, we've already seen it happen and we know what it's like and we get the idea, okay, it's about to happen again. I think it was enough to have, was it like the usher walk up and be like, sir, are you okay? And he just looks at him and he goes, run! <laughs> yeah. Like, God, oh, that's good. That's so good. Yeah. And then when the cops come in and they're looking for him and they just shine the flashlight and there's like a dead body and a pile on the floor with just that fucking snarling face yeah. above it for like half a second. It's so Perfect. effective. It really is. And it's like how we rail against like modern stuff where it's like that they'll show you too much because they think they can do everything with a computer. Like they would not do that this way. Yeah. I mean, you already made the comparison to Jaws and I think that, you know. Yeah. It, those are two prime examples of less is more mm-hmm. and you know they had limitations so they couldn't show you the things as much as yeah. they maybe wanted wish, to and wish that was still a thing yeah i mean same thing with alien like you know they had a reasonable budget for that film and they had a really cool costume and a good performer inside of it but the less you show it then the less time you spend staring at a person in a suit right you know yep uh yeah it's just it's kind of a lost art i think thanks to computers we are not the kind here to just like bash cg wholeheartedly but you know there's there's definitely people who do not utilize it properly yeah i mean i love there's countless movies i love that have cg only but it's like yeah when you the times they use it as a crutch is when it you know it's uh it's worst examples yep or when they overdo it because someone thought it looked good in 2006 and now, you know, 18 <laughs> years later, you're like, oh, that's the worst looking thing I've ever seen. Yeah. So. Bad call. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so David Naughton, <laughs> uh, I didn't know this, but before he was in this film, uh, he was the star of an ad campaign for Dr. Pepper called Be a Pepper. 
which ran from 1977 to 1981, in which he would sing and dance, and he was just the Dr. Pepper guy. Wow. Uh, and he was dropped by Dr. Pepper after appearing nude in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had a four-year run on commercials. I mean, that's yeah, I, I meant to go back and watch some of them, but I completely forgot to. There's got to be some on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he was on a short-lived sitcom called Making It, for which he also sang the theme song, and that gave him a top five hit on the Billboard charts. Jeez, this guy's <laughs> that's, a... yeah, kind of unusual and all over the place. Yeah. I just don't know why his career never went anywhere after this. I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, Universal Studios wanted Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi to play the two leads, and uh, John Landis basically told them to fuck themselves. <laughs> he wanted a couple of, like, nobodies, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that works in its favor. Yeah. So a big thing about this movie was at the time was uh, this was the first movie in 15 years to be allowed to shoot in Piccadilly Circus, which is like that high traffic area with all the shops around it in uh, in London mm-hmm. that the end of the movie takes place in. Mm-hmm. And the way that John Landis made that happen is he invited 300 members of London's Metropolitan Police Service to a screening of the Blues Brothers, which impressed them so much that they decided to allow him to film in Piccadilly Circus uh, for two nights between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m., and uh, they were, like, so on it with, like, the uh, the stunts and the effects and working with the police that they only had to stop traffic three times for two-minute increments to film the double-decker bus stunt. Wow. And that, that was all they had to stop the traffic for. So That's impressive. Because there's, yeah. there's a lot of destruction. <laughs> yeah, there is. Like you said, like, you know, it's, it's like, overboard in the, the maiming of people. Yeah. It's, like, so extreme that it's funny. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this was the first film to ever win the Academy Award for Best Makeup, which was introduced that year. Oh, that's cool. And uh, so impressed was he by the effects in this movie that Michael Jackson handpicked John Landis and Rick Baker to make the Thriller video, which is now like oh, right. part of history. Yep. Uh, a sequel was released in 1997, <laughs> which is almost two decades later, uh, called An American Werewolf in Paris. Directed by Anthony Weller, who made movies The uh, the Guilty and Mute Witness, both of which maybe I've heard of before, but they also have really generic names. It stars Tom Everett Scott, who was the, I think he's the lead in that thing you do. He was in Dead Man on Campus, Boiler Room, uh, and Julie Delpy from the Before Trilogy and Killing uh, Zoe. Okay, yep. And uh, shares no cast with the original. And I think the premise of that movie is Julie Delpy plays uh, the daughter of David Naughton. And um, oh, he got her pregnant. Uh, yeah, Jenny Aguder in mm-hmm. the first one. But I'm not 100% sure. I've never seen it. Apparently, it's awful. I feel like you never hear much about that besides it being really bad. Yeah. Uh, I know my sister, when we were younger, had it on VHS, but I never watched it. <laughs> I think because I was just of, not of interested all in werewolves. Yeah. And uh, in 2009, Dimension Films was working on a remake that never came to pass. Uh, later in around 2016, 2017, John Landis's son, Max Landis, who wrote such films as Chronicle, which we talked about, and uh, 
God, he did that movie Bright for Netflix with Will Smith, mm. which I thought was fucking awful, but people really liked for some reason. Yeah, I never bothered with that one. Uh, he wrote a script for a remake of his father's movie that he intended to direct, but that was right around the time his sexual and emotional abuse charges came up and basically put a stop to his career. Okay. Otherwise, we probably would have had that remake by now. Not not saying like, darn, it's a shame. I'm just saying we we probably would have if it wasn't for that. Right. I don't like the idea of remaking this movie anyway. It's like already great as is. You're not yeah. going to do better than the original. It's just like, just make another cool werewolf movie. Like, it doesn't yeah. have to be the same name. Like, mm-hmm. geez. And in 2019, Variety reported that Robert Kirkman, the comic writer... <laughs> was being considered as a producer for a new reboot, but I couldn't find any more recent information than that. So, same year that The Howling came out and made 17.9 million, American Werewolf in London made 62 million off of a $5.8 million budget. This movie was a surprise hit. It's awesome. Yeah. So, we're fans. Yeah, this movie's fantastic. It's one of the best movies on Triple Dead, I'd say. Yeah, it's up there. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. All right. Any more uh, brown nosing you want to do to John Landis? No, or we move I think on? we should uh, now go to something vastly different. <laughs> vastly worse, you say? <clears throat> oh, so pardon. from 1985, we have Teen Wolf. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, Big Brother always keeps a stash out here for emergencies. Listen. Listen, Styles, uh, I, I gotta talk to you about something because it's making me nuts. Yeah, well, I hear you, but if it's that intense, I'll need a solid buzz to think clearly. Well, look, I, 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 I wouldn't even, uh, I wouldn't even mention it to you except that I gotta talk to someone. Wait a minute, are you gonna tell me you're a fag? I mean, if you're gonna tell me you're a fag, I don't think I can handle it. I'm not a fag. I'm a werewolf. Where would that scumbag keep it? Scott. Scotty? Styles, it's me. Anytime you want. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I just did. But, see, sometimes it, it, it happens when I don't want it to. What can I say? You're beautiful. Uh, this blows my mind. Uh, did you know that, uh, do you know who wrote this movie? Uh, nope. Comic book writer Jeff Loeb. Really? Yep. He and a writing partner wrote this film. Uh, I guess he was trying to be a filmmaker early in his career. Uh, he So after the success of the movie Valley Girl, the studio who made this wanted another comedy that would, quote, cost almost nothing to make and take very little time to film. So with those huge aspirations, the project came together when they hired Jeff Loeb. And uh, 
Meredith Baxter Burney became pregnant, which delayed filming on Family Ties and gave Michael J. Fox a break in his shooting schedule so he could sign on to the film and make it very quickly. I mean, it's just like, yeah, here's some money, just do anything. Yeah. And as you said earlier, uh, it came out the same year as Back to the Future. It, it, It was released, I think it was ready to debut before Back to the Future. But they decided to hold on to it until after Back to the Future because they thought that movie was going to be a big hit and then it would like pump up the sales for this one because of Michael J. Fox. And boy, did they call that one. Uh, This debuted at number two behind Back to the Future when it came out. Oh. And on a budget of $4 million, shot cheaply and quickly with a script by Jeff Loeb, who I'm not even really a fan of as a comic writer, made $80 million. Damn. (laughs) So... 200% 200% increase. <laughs> Teen Wolf. Yeah, I'm like, I, I'm not going to fucking lambaste this movie or anything. It's an 80s teen comedy, but I don't know. This one just doesn't really do it for me. And I do have a real soft spot for those kind of movies from this era, but. You do, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, this one just, uh, I don't know. It just does not come together for me. I will tell you what to me is the. Number one problem with this movie, mm-hmm. hands down for me. Yes, and it might it maybe will make sense. No, it's sense to very few other people. Is it the fact that the love interest's name is Boof for some reason? Uh, no, <laughs> interesting choice, especially yeah. for a lady. Apparently, that was actually the nickname of one of Jeff Loeb's high school girlfriends. Ha- has to be. Because yeah. there's no other reason to do it. Mm. Sorry to, de- to uh, derail you there. No, no. It was, a good, it was a good point to be made. The music in this movie is awful. Oh, those like weird music stings early on when they're like trying to buy the booze and all. What is Millsy, that? It is throughout the entire movie it's that it's so it's annoying. Either, <laughs> it's either like terribly misguided score or even some of the stuff with lyrics is awful the music to me ruins this movie yeah i mean there's a long scene of like teen wolf putting in work on the basketball court yep in the middle of this movie that has hands down the worst song ever what is that song it's so bad i remember thinking (laughs) i almost want anyone just to go and watch this and just try to like pick out the music because it is like the most like melodramatic dull score throughout the entire thing that like ruins the tone of this thing for me completely yeah. and, I, and there's that song in the middle which every time I hear it I'm just like that's the worst shit ever and then there's a one at the end that's also awful I mean I didn't make notes of this but like as like a proper like early millennial 40 plus year old i have to watch i watch things with the subtitles on a lot (laughs) yep and for this it gave the lyrics to some of these songs and it is it was mind-blowing some of the things some of the lyrics to these songs it didn't make sense like are these filler tracks that then they decided they didn't have the money to put something else in i don't know it makes zero sense about Like flat, I honestly feels like it ruins the tone of the entire movie throughout the, the every bit of score. It, none of it feels like this is like a happy go lucky, funny eighties teen movie at all. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that song in the middle, definitely, I remember hearing it this time around and being like, what the fuck is this? But yes. then earlier on in the movie, I don't remember if it goes through the whole thing, but like during that lead up to them, like trying to buy the booze, there's this like dramatic sting that they keep doing. It's like someone will say a line of dialogue and then the camera will hold on for like two seconds. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but it it kept making me think of that like... um is it Law and Order SVU that has it like dung dung <laughs> dung dung? Yes. I, it kept making me think of that, and I was like, "What the fuck are they doing with this sound effect?" <laughs> it's, it's like, and it, honestly, it's throughout the entire thing. I mean, they use, uh, I know they use the one like surfing song. It's probably like the only. Oh, the surfing Beach Boys. in the surfing in the USA by yeah. the Beach Boys. It's like that's the kind of like tonally what they should be doing with all the music throughout, and they do not. It goes mm-hmm. the exact opposite direction. There's even one point where he's getting ready for the big dance. Yep. Again, this might I might be the only one that picks up. Well, not the only one, but this I'll pick up on this every time. He's getting ready for the dance. He's in the bathroom, and they play like what sounds like a cover of a Bee Gees song without mm-hmm. any lyrics, and they only play it for like 20 seconds, just like the tune of it. And I was like, why does why is this in here? If they're not even playing the actual song, I even watched the entire credits. They don't even put in that there's a BG song in there. So I was like, what what has happened here? I don't understand. Yeah. The, honestly, uh, like I said, I used to watch this a lot when I was a kid. This and the sequel, sequel even more. <laughs> I watched rewatched this for the first time like in decades. Maybe in the last uh, three or five years for Shocktober. Mm-hmm. And I remember it ruined the it ruined my time rewatching it was the music. <laughs> yeah. Like so, I said, I only saw this for the first time a couple years ago and I immediately wasn't a big fan. And you know, that happens to me sometimes. Like I've classically said, like the Goonies I didn't watch when I was a kid. I didn't see it until I was in high school and I just kinda like brushed it off and like I, I Goonies is definitely a far better movie than this, but the same kind of thing where I watched thing. it after all these years and like expected to have fun with it and was just like, hmm, eh. it could be, but I, I will, I'll go to the grave on this one. It's with a completely different score and soundtrack. This is a far better movie. That is. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like a decent enough premise. Uh, I, it's just, it's another movie that. I don't know. It feels like they were kind of on autopilot when they wrote it and they didn't do enough passes at the script to like iron out little details and things. So it feels like it just jumps around a lot from scene to scene. And then, I mean, I can't, we've talked about it before. You and I suffer from this to a degree, but even when I'm watching like a goofy comedy like this, there are sometimes things that are just like glaring to me and I can't stop thinking about them. Like everybody takes this dude, turning into a werewolf in such stride Mm -hmm. that it's like in this world is it known that there are some people who are werewolves and so they're they're not surprised too much to be like oh there's one in our school or like you know he's they're making fucking t-shirts out of him and he's like Uh in the news and stuff like why did the government not come for him or something like it weird little things like that where it's like i i can let it go for the good of the film but like I, i was thinking to myself like they don't even touch on any of these subjects there's no line of dialogue that they give that is enough for me to be like okay let's just move on it yeah it just feels so like sloppy and when when i read that about the studio just wanted something cheap and quick to make like that's what this feels like like it's Mm -hmm. it's harmless but it just it's not a very good movie to me 
it's 85 and werewolves were hot in the streets. So yeah, that's why this is werewolf premise. This, I, I don't know if this is another hot take as well, but like, I don't particularly care for the look of the werewolf that they designed where he's got like the long hair and like the long chin hair and everything. <laughs> he's just I'm kind okay of with funny that. looking I, to me. I like the makeup, all things considered. I mean, they, there's only like a fraction of a change, like a uh, morph scene, which isn't all that great. But has bladders. Does have bladders. Little Like they love to make those eyebrows go. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like this makeup. I think it like looks good. Execution-wise looks good. I mean, the design of it, I guess it's, you know, could be better, could be worse. But I, I like it overall. It's just weird, like, he transforms, and it's like he's automatically got this, like, combed back, like, slick oh. hair. Like, I would Crazy almost long. expect someone to have, like, like you know, at the end when he's at the dance or whatever, like, style your hair. But it's like he transforms, and he just automatically looks like he's, you know, like shampooed the salon or something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, Again, these are, like, weird yeah. nitpicky things, but they're things that admittedly I don't, I don't love about it. <laughs> to me, that, like, fits this as being, like, a straight comedy, like... Okay, like yeah, I can let that go, but then it's like you said, there's they they don't do enough to acknowledge anything about like we've seen werewolves before. Here's the first one. Um it's like the scene where it's kinda like he turns while they're playing basketball and they just people go with it because he's suddenly real good. I mean, I guess that's fine, but again at that point they've made so many poor decisions with the, the tone that it's you know, that kind of sticks out to me too as not being all that great. Yeah, I don't know. It just it's it's just very sloppy feeling to me, all told. Uh there's other things that like, you know, it's very eighties, but like they couldn't have like we really went to the extreme of just the fat guy's name is Chubby. Like he's credited as Chubby. It we never hear like, oh, his name is actually Pete Wonkowski, but his nickname is Chubby or something. But it's like that right. was kind of cringy. Like Low hanging fruit, yeah. Yeah, they're like uh, what do you think about the coach? Do you like that character or no? Um, where he's just like very, no, you know, he doesn't really make sense. He's aloof and weird, like in an unrealistic way. <laughs> yeah. He's like, not, it's not like, uh, it's not a good casting for that kind of character. Like you're not really, he doesn't sell it. I feel like with his dialogue and like the way he acts, it almost feels to me like, uh, they, in, in the pitch room. On SNL, everybody thought that character was going to be hilarious, and then when they actually like filmed that live in front of the audience, nobody laughed. Like that's how it felt to me. Yeah, it was just c- like these jokes are like very on the nose and not funny. Like I see what they're going for, but I don't know. At some point, I feel like all of my criticisms are just a result of I don't like this movie very much, so every little thing about it annoyed me. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I don't think he, uh, I don't think he sells that character very well. It's just kind of yeah. Another reason. I mean, this thing is like trope city, really. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, uh, it's the guy who's got a lifelong friend who's actually a very attractive girl, but he doesn't even think of her that way. And she pines after him while he goes for the, you know, girl that he's got no shot with until he's got something to offer her. And then there's the the evil boyfriend and, mm-hmm. yeah, the chubby friend that he is spurned, that is, you know, he spurns all his friends because he's newly popular. It's just, it is very uh, formulaic. Yeah, and then you sprinkle on a werewolf, which I mean, in my mind, like that. Yes, that could be good. And I do like Michael J. Fox, even though he sweats uncontrollably throughout most of the movie. So uh, <laughs> that always stands out to me too. It's just like, oh, these like really bad. These guys playing full basketball games, like. Hmm. 
It's very very odd. But um Yeah. I I don't hate it. I definitely don't love it like I think I did when I was younger. And it really I chalk up so much of that to how bad the music is just throws this hmm. entire movie off for me. It's just I don't know. It's it's tough to it's tough to catalog these things in some ways. Like, you know, is there anything really atrociously bad about this movie? No. When I watch it though, I just personally find it like kind of annoying and not very good. And it's like such low hanging fruit. Like you said, that it feels like it should have been an easier win and somehow it isn't for me. And I, you know, I feel like (laughs) one of the perfect examples, like the perfect way to show my real feelings on a movie, because, you know, I own like, uh, 2000 plus Blu-rays is that, uh, you know, Shout Factory put this out on Blu-ray and I've had numerous opportunities to buy it and I haven't, and I don't intend to like, that's like, I own over 2000 movies, but I can't even throw a bone to Teen Wolf because I'm just like, I don't, I don't want it. Like if it wasn't for this show, where it comes up and I may have even been the one to create this episode. I don't remember, but like if it didn't come up for this show, I don't think I'd have ever watched it again <laughs> just because my first experience was like, yeah, friends of this show. If you could see some of the things that live on the shelves of Ryan Miller's movie room <laughs> for him to leave out Teen Wolf is extremely telling. Exactly. Are, That's what correct. I'm saying. Like there's no rhyme or reason for it. It's just like in my own crazy psyche, I have decided that Teen Wolf isn't deserving of being among all the other garbage that I have. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's unquantifiable, but there it is. That's how much I'm, like, not a fan of this movie. <laughs> As of right now, there's only two movies on this list of things I want to, like, recut and make make Dax Burger cuts of. One being uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. And now <laughs> Teen Wolf, which would just be st- probably strictly music. but <laughs> yeah. I would, I would do it. Well, do me a favor when you get in there with the scissors and take out the uh, four-second bladder shot. Yeah, I gladly. It, it, it looks bad. <laughs> like, yeah. maybe it's because Michael J. Fox's face is so recognizable, but mm-hmm. boy, does is it like weird looking that he has that like fake, like creamy looking latex skin yeah. on? Yeah, it did look rough. You love the dad though in the werewolf makeup. I'm sure. <laughs> I do think he's kind of cute. <laughs> He looks like a Pomeranian or something. Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah. He opens the door, the old man's there, like, he looks like a a poofy old dog. Yeah, I I do kind of like that. I like, I like, like, okay, so things I like about the movie, I like the dad in general. I like his vibe where he's also kind of aloof, but not in an obnoxious way like the coach. Mm Mm-hmm. I like uh, the friend Styles. Like he's obnoxious in a very '80s movie kind of way. Even like a little more extreme than you might think with the fucking glasses and his name is Styles. You know. <laughs> yep. And he's like selling the merch and all. I dig that. Um, I like Boof. Okay. Uh, she's really good. just like an unfortunate side character who doesn't have a whole lot to do aside from like pout that the guy she likes doesn't pay attention to her. A- accurate. As ridiculous as it is, because no real life uh, high school party has ever been anything like this. I like the party scene where they're like drawing names out of a hat and playing some crazy like drinking sex game where like people are like having to 
you know, wrestle in whipped cream or whatever on the floor and do like seven minutes in heaven in the closet or whatever. And Styles is running it like a fucking game show host. And there's a girl, <laughs> like everybody's dressed like high school students, except for this one girl who's in this like black lacy, like weird goth lingerie outfit with who has the top hat filled with names. She's like his co-host or something. I like I like that because of how ridiculous it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, I don't know. There's there's little bits and things in there. I mean, it's it's a kind of movie that I like. It's I just feel like it missteps a lot of times for me. Hmm. Gotta love the fact that they left in there that classic shot at the end where uh, someone's fly is down and they zip up in the background right before the credits. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Between this and the little kid at the end of Back to the Future 3 pointing to his dick on camera, like, what's Michael J. Fox's <laughs> deal? I don't know. <laughs> Quite the legacy. <laughs> Did you notice that Jeff Loeb stole the with great power comes great responsibility line oh, from Spider-Man for oh, the script? Course. Yeah, it stands out like a sore thumb. Uh, let's see. The sequel, Teen Wolf 2, was released in 1987, starring Jason Bateman as Scott's cousin Todd. And only, keep in mind, this one grossed $80 million. Two years later, $7.9 million for the Ooh. sequel. Yeah. Like, what a fucking flop. Which really makes me think... Everybody saw it for Michael J. Fox because Back to the Future was totally. huge at the time. Totally. And I'm thinking a lot of people didn't really like it that much. So then when the sequel came out, they're like, Michael J. Fox isn't even in it. I'm not going to bother. Right. And now, the, and there's been like five other howlings by then. Yeah. People are, now they're feeling like too much werewolf. Uh, I have not seen the sequel. How recently have you seen it? And what are your Same. thoughts on since, it? Since a kid. I mean, I, I can remember liking it, but that's like really all I have to go on. Okay. It could be the exact same you know, experience if I rewatch it like I have with this one. Do you know why Jason Bateman replaced Michael J. Fox in the sequel? Um, Isn't it like MJ, Michael J. Fox just uh, didn't want to do the makeup, right? Uh, He refused to return for a sequel because he hated the first one. Oh. <laughs> he didn't like the movie. He thought it was bad. Oh, well. <laughs> well, there you go. There goes to show you that, Mills. <laughs> uh, a second sequel was planned to star Alyssa Milano as a female werewolf, but never happened. And then after that, they tried making a female-led sequel again in 1989, but it didn't end up coming out as a werewolf movie. They turned it into a script that did get made into a film called Teen Witch. Oh, boy which is far less known than uh, Teen Wolf. I have heard of it, and apparently it's a very bizarre movie. Hmm. Uh, one of the hosts of the Shockwaves podcast back when it was around used to talk about it a lot as like a guilty pleasure. Yeah, so it's probably terrible. I'm curious to see it now, though. <laughs> which which host? It was uh, uh, Rebecca McKendry. She mm -hmm. liked that movie a lot. I'm assuming it was like she saw it when she was a teenager, like young girl, teen witch movie, a horror fan, mm -hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, she used to talk about it a lot. Like when when conversations would come up with like obscure weirdo movies that they like, she'd always bring up Teen Witch. She'd drop a hot Teen Witch on. <laughs> yeah, an animated Teen Wolf series aired on CBS for two seasons in 1986 and 1987. I don't think I knew that. No, I didn't. We'll have to ask Tony if he uh, was a viewer of the animated series. Look, I, who knows if he's even got to talk to us after this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. 
Uh, a live-action Teen Wolf series aired for six seasons on MTV from 2011 to 2017. The series was reimagined as a, quote, supernatural teen drama with elements of action and horror. It's just like Buffy, right? Uh, from what I can tell, yes. Yeah, for sure. And a follow-up film called Teen Wolf the Movie was released in January of this year, 2023. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> So they made a movie follow-up to the show based on a movie called Teen Wolf and called it Teen Wolf the Movie. (laughs) Sick maniacs. So fucking stupid. (sighs) And that, my friend, is Teen Wolf. Woof. Woof. (laughs) This guy, the guy who directed this really had a thing for uh, canines because he made this. He made the movie Canine. And he also directed Beethoven's Second. Of course, of course he did. Uh, the only other thing I saw that really jumped out at me on his filmography was Home Alone 4, which I don't even think I knew was a thing. Okay. That's Teen Wolf. <laughs> That's Teen Wolf. Millsy. Yeah. Let's take these posters out to the woodshed out back. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Howling. I feel like this is kind of an iconic design. I don't hate this. Uh, I don't like it. Because it's a paper bag. Yeah. It's like not really a wolf claw. And then I don't know if this lady is supposed to be screaming in terror or because she's a werewolf. Could be either. Yeah, I mean, it's not my favorite thing ever, but it's like a nice illustration. It is weird that it looks like it's a paper bag. But I I feel like it's kind of iconic. Um, And the fact that I've seen it a billion times before doesn't mean that it's good, but... uh, Yeah. No, it is in that regard. Like, this is a... Maybe even, like, a trope kind of thing of things tearing through, but... Yeah. Yeah, I see this, and I was like, it's not skin. It's not a wall. I don't know what it is, but it looks like a paper bag. It 100% looks like a paper bag. bag. (laughs) Yeah. The title's too small. Imagine your worst fear of reality. Doesn't even make sense. That is... An awful tagline that could technically be used for any horror movie. Imagine your worst fear. Like, it's missing a word or or two. Imagine your worst fear a reality. (laughs) Help me out here, right? Imagine your worst fear a reality. I mean, I don't know if that's just, like, if that is, like, grammatically a correct way to say that statement. Like, you'd think it would be imagine your worst fear became reality or something right. is what, That's how what I would expect it. But imagine your first, your worst fear a reality. There's I don't know. Wor- it is words weird. missing. But, like, whether you take the version that's on the poster or a version that sounds more normal to us, it's just, what is that? Oh, it's still that bad. Oh, yeah. means nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still awful, but it's extra bad because yeah. it doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I mean... In the fact that this is like a, an illustrated poster from '81, like hell yeah, but like all elements of it do yeah. absolutely nothing for me. Yeah, you could. This could be the poster for like a lot of different movies, honestly. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, why not have that be a werewolf completely behind there? Mm-hmm. Like, what does having presumably a lady back there really do? Yeah, I mean, at the very least, teeth, like, like the the claws should be like claws. dark and hairy and pointy and and pointy. It's like this guy been biting his biting his nails. <laughs> yeah, looks like fucking Samara trying to claw her way out of yeah. the uh, the well. I'm with you. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. An American Werewolf in London. If it didn't have you know uh, the title, 
it's just like it's a photo of two guys it's like a ll bean head <laughs> uh, um an american werewolf in london the monster the movie. monster movie i mean i think that combined with like the tagline from the director of animal house a different kind of animal is like the studio again panicking because it's like it's a it's a horror movie but it's funny it, it's a comedy but it's scary like trying to think of a way to market it because they're afraid it's not going to work yeah no, again not that that's a uh a good excuse but i'm sure that's why they did that so here's here's the thing um so an american werewolf in london the title I, di- I didn't write it down but like the reason it's called that is it's uh it's it's like a play off of the title of a classic movie mm-hmm. but i can't remember what it is and i'm wondering if the imagery they chose here is intended to play on that as well it's not like that 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 book or whatever like a what is it a connecticut yankee no 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 in king arthur's court no that's something uh completely different um i I read something about it it's like uh it's like two titles combined or something i i don't don't remember i I'm, i'm grasping at straws here but like i this is another one where like i'm so familiar with the image that like on one hand i don't mind it to like look at it like and try and find the logic it it could be much more interesting I mean, it's not ugly to me, but it's worthless. <laughs> Which yeah, particularly harsh, but it just is. It's just like it's for a movie I legitimately love. I just think this this is a pointless poster. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it could definitely be better. Um, I feel like you'd have to go back to formula to hundred oh, percent. Yeah, it's not like oh, change this one thing about no, it. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> Unlike the howling where, you know, I feel like there's a couple quick fixes you could do to that one. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf just, you know, uh, Michael J. Fox just got the longest neck in Hollywood history. In this poster. <laughs> just Michael J. Giraffe. <laughs> I mean, look at this. You can't unsee it now. Uh, yeah, you're right. It feels like they painted the poster before they knew who the star was going to be, and they just added his head on later. Absolutely. You could fit a whole hairy werewolf fist between <laughs> his chin and that puff of hair coming out. This is another one where I'm thinking the marketing department was probably just like, all right, back to the future. We we want to make sure people know that we have Marty McFly in this. Yeah. And it probably wouldn't be that bad if I think his... His head is like maybe 80, 85% the size it should be. And then the neck is twice as long as it should be. Yeah. To be completely honest, though, like you're right. His neck is too long, but like you fix that little flaw. And for considering what this is advertising, I think it's a perfectly fine concept oh, and totally. design. Oh, know? yeah. This, this is probably the, for what it is with the star, this is what you do 10 times out of 10. It's just they blew it in the execution. And now yeah. I, I just can't not see that. <laughs> yeah, I never really took notice of it, but you're right. Now that you've said something, I can't stop looking at his neck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the tagline at the top, he always wanted to be special, but he never expected this worthless. Yeah. It uh, doesn't even really apply to the film. And then like, I guess because it's Teen Wolf and they were afraid people would think it was a horror movie, they decided to put a new comedy starring Michael J. Mm. Fox at the bottom. Yeah, that's, that's actually a good... Uh... That's a good point you make there. I think there's no 
there's no other reason to put that in there. Yeah. Than to like hopefully bring people back that might be scared away too. Mm-hmm. Because of Wolf. Yeah, because I mean, there were movies like I think there is a movie called I Was a Teenage Werewolf, like an old drive in, like AIP pictures movie from like back in the 40s or the 50s or something. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were trying to steer clear of that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It was a, it was a rough night for posters. Break I'll tell it down for though, the people, Milzy. Because you have such strong feelings about them versus me, I want you to run Ooh. these ones down. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Um, let's see, let's see. Um, I'm gonna give the howling. Mm, I mean, it's a it's a perfectly fine executed drawing, and it's just like all of its elements are rough. But I'll give it two bullets into the porno theater door. <laughs> right on. Uh. Yeah, my heart of hearts, I really want to give American Werewolf in London, like, yeah, I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to give American Werewolf in London is one oh. Nazi werewolf fighter. <laughs> All right. Which is just a waste to me. Teen Wolf. I mean, I really, I really railed against this one. <laughs> I'm going to give it two sweaty headbands. God damn. Worn by... I know, it's harsh. It's a shooting gallery out here. I'd give it three. I mean, it makes sense as a poster. (laughs) Shooting gallery. (laughs) I'd I'd give it a three. Otherwise, if it wasn't for that fucking neck, Billsy, I can't. (laughs) Just look at it. It's so bad. It just, oh, I'm extra harsh. You should have asked all three of these posters if they wanted a blindfold. (laughs) Oh, three, two, one. Yeah. That's how I roll. Wow. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Shell shot. <laughs> shooting gallery. <laughs> yes. in a barrel and somebody gave mm. Daxberger a gun. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, all right. Well, Mills. Yeah. Tis the, I was, I'm not going to say witching hour, the werewolfing hour. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go first. Okay. I'm very interested in how you're going to play out here. I feel like I telegraphed it pretty well, but... Uh, mm, you know. I think. Oh, yeah. Mm. It's a bit of a curveball. For me, it's probably a plain as day. Have bought twice in my life already. I will uh, buy American Werewolf in London. It's fantastic. It's a classic. I love it. I will, when it comes down to it, I find, I think, I definitely find The Howling to be more of a chore to watch. So that's going to be my burn. And I think, I maybe mean, in a perfect world, I could borrow Teen Wolf just so I could edit the music out and <clears throat> a better soundtrack. But I could see myself watching Teen Wolf again over The Howling. So, yeah. Bye, Barbara. Uh, I'm. Easily buying uh, an American Werewolf in London. Preach. I've got the Arrow video release on the shelf downstairs. The special edition in the box with the little booklet that comes with it. Can I tell you? Can I tell you a story real quick? By all about means. that. I also have that, but oh. but 
I inadvertently bought the 4K edition. Oh, right. I remember you mentioning that. It does not have a Blu-ray, which I think is the only time I've ever come across that in life to this point. (laughs) Yeah, I can't think of a... I mean, I don't buy 4Ks unless it's like the only thing available. But uh, I I would say out of my over 2,000 movie collection, as we've discussed, I think I have like 30 or 35... 4Ks. Oh, do you have 4K capability? No. Oh. But it's just like, I, I was going to say, like, if it wasn't for Vinegar Syndrome and me having the subscription where I'm, mm-hmm. like, getting everything they put out no matter what, I I would probably only have maybe, like, 8 or 10 uh, mm-hmm. 4Ks. But these days, because, like, 4K is the thing, you know, almost every month Vinegar Syndrome is putting out a 4K, and so they always have Blu-rays with them. Well, I was going to say, but they have a Blu-ray, yeah. This but is yeah, one. I have, like, almost 40 4Ks, I think, because of stuff like that. You know, in the past, like, I, there's there's been one or two times where there was, like, a movie that, like, a, a perfect example in the past was uh, Prometheus. Mm-hmm. You know, when that movie came out on Blu-ray, I, I wasn't a fan of the film, but you could only get the like two hour making of special feature if you bought the four disc version with a 4K and like mm. a, maybe even a 3D Blu-ray copy. Yep. And so I shelled out the money for that just because I wanted to be able to see why they made that movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so like ended up with the 4K of that one, you know. But there, there's been other instances like that where I end up with the 4K. But uh, you have never seen one that you, didn't yeah, come with a Blu-ray. A Blu-ray to go with it. Yeah, never have I seen one without a Blu-ray. I mean, the time will come where I end up with like a PS5, which mm-hmm. will be 5K, and then I, I mean 4K, and then that'll be that. I mean, I own this on DVD still anyways, so. Yeah, I mean, in recent memory, I even bought a new player to go in Tech Noir, my movie room, but rather than like go for a 4K, I went for a uh, region-free player instead. Yeah, boy. <laughs> yeah, you but, did. Uh, yeah, so buying American Werewolf in London all day long. Uh, love that movie. When it comes down to the other two, I mean, I feel like I, I pretty much put it out there already by, by the fact that I was like, I don't feel the need to have uh, Teen Wolf tainting my movie oh, collection. True. Yes, that's true. But um, yeah, I like I, I even take pause because I like that kind of like goofy 80s comedy, but for whatever reason, that one just doesn't do a whole lot for me after two viewings and... The Howling, I don't love. I do own that on Blu-ray. Um, but it's like, there's there's a thing that I often say, and this doesn't 100% apply, but I think you'll understand the context. I love Mystery Science Theater 3000. I can sit through any piece of shit movie on that show for two reasons. One, they were made funnier and more entertaining by a guy and two robots making fun of them while mm-hmm. I watched them. Mm-hmm. And two... Because for the most part, those movies and a lot of the movies that I honestly own from companies like Vinegar Syndrome and and Severn Films and whatnot, uh, they're bad. But somebody was trying to make a good movie. Right? Right. Stuff that I can't stand is like uh, stuff like um, Sharknado or Birdemic where mm-hmm. I watch those and I do not get the impression that anybody was actually trying. They were just like making something stupid and like jokey for, I don't know. It's just like, I watch those kind of movies and I feel like, Oh, the, the filmmakers weren't trying. Why should I care? And this isn't exactly that, but to a degree based on what I read about, you know, teen wolf being 
something that they just wanted to make fast and cheap. And then you see the end result, and I don't think it's particularly good. Whereas The Howling, I feel like there was some attempt at artistry and craft. An attempt. <laughs> Whereas Teen Wolf feels like just a quick slapdash money making scheme that didn't appeal to me. So I will borrow The Howling and I will burn Teen Wolf. Well, that is a fair and accurate assessment on your part. Yeah. I don't begrudge anybody who likes it. You know, Tony enjoys the movie. That's fine. It's like, I can totally understand how somebody would watch it and just enjoy like the campiness or the nostalgia, but being someone who didn't see it until like their mid thirties, you know, I, I don't have the nostalgia and, you know, Michael J. Fox's charms only go so far. Mm. And his neck is not nearly as long in the movie as it is in the poster. And that just doesn't, doesn't do it for you. Unfortunately. Mm. Well played, Mills. Well played. So there you go. Now, to get down to the nitty gritty, how many episodes do we have to pick from? Right now, we have 238 potential themes just waiting for us to bark up their tree. 238. Millsy. Yes. 109. 109. All right. <laughs> I don't have my spreadsheet open, so let me... Uh... 109 is the theme Baseball Furies. <laughs> uh, this is actually fun, because I don't know what that is. I don't have well, you're the one who my... came up with it. Oh, well, you did better. <laughs> Let's see. Just give me a... Let me... Let, let your boy get a... Yeah, I mean, uh... the... Uh... Based on that title, the yeah. the general kind of movie is probably mm-hmm. pretty obvious, but I mean, there's a lot of them, so good luck guessing uh, which yeah. ones we're going to be watching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is shall be a good time. I've seen two of these. Oh, interest. Oh, I know exactly which two. I'm sure you do. <laughs> Love it. Well, Mills. Yep. You know, Mills, before we close up shop for the night, Mm -hmm. can I say happy anniversary? Oh, happy anniversary to you, Dex. Tell the people, Mills. Tell them. Uh, If you're listening to this the day it is released, then uh, the five-year anniversary of Triple Threat Theater's first episode is two days from now. On uh, August 11th. August 11th, 2018, the very first episode of Triple Threat dropped. And if my math is correct, it's August 9th, 2023, when this one is dropping. So You are good at math, so I, I back this up. I have spreadsheets, as you know, to, mm. give, to feed mm-hmm. me this information. <laughs> as like every single milestone we've ever had with the show, and I say, oh, wow, I can't believe that's a fact. Uh, yeah, I can't believe it's uh, the five-year anniversary. Yeah, I mean, we are, uh, we're getting close to 100 episodes. We sure are. So, I mean, this would put us at like, I don't know, six, six and a half years of when the, we first had the idea or something, right? Yeah, so it's crazy to think that uh, the first episode debuted in August because I think we recorded the first episode the prior October, if Man. I'm not mistaken. I know it was the previous year because we, we banked like five or six episodes before we released the first one. Mm-hmm. And we recorded the very first one the previous year, so. We're smart doing uh, it that we, way. Uh, we put on a good show, I think. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, like, we had, like, you know, we thought it out. You know, we planned it out. We were just firing off trifectas left and right. Mm-hmm. You know, just. Uh, I mean, that's the easy part of the show. 
it's <laughs> coming true. up with coming up with movies we we want to watch. Yeah, but just pretty wild, man. Five years. Look at us. Yeah. Who'd have thunk? Well, congrats, friend. Handshake, virtual handshake. internet handshake. Very good. Well, with that, Mills, this trip at the theater. I'm Joe Daxberger, and I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy. Be happy. Be happy. Be happy.